Hey, but I am going to speak this morning because I'm going to share something that's pretty dear to me. Um, today is Thanksgiving Sunday. Yeah. Woo. So we should be thankful every day, but today we, we pause and we just think about all the things that we have to be thankful for. Uh, so like a lot of things, for us who call ourselves believers, for us who are Christians, thankfulness looks different to us than it does in the world. So here's what I mean. I have a couple of dictionary different definitions for you. So the first one is conscious of a benefit received. Conscious of a benefit received. So that's thankfulness in the world. Another one is the feeling of being happy or grateful because of something. So for us as Christians, the problem with those two dictionary definitions are the word conscious and the word feeling. We have verses that say, and since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshipping him with holy fear and awe. And we've already heard this verse this morning because Jim shared it. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So that means for us, thanksgiving is not based on us being conscious of a benefit received or a warm feeling we have inside because something's gone well or we've received something. We are called to be people who are thankful in all circumstances. That means we are thankful regardless of how good life seems and regardless of how bad life can be. Now, when life is full of trials, and I know there are people in the midst of trials right now, we don't have to be thankful for the trials. We are a thankful people through the trials, in the trials. Being thankful allows us to stand in a position of faith. Thanksgiving shifts our perspective so that we can focus on what we do have. We can focus on how good our God is. And it shifts our perspective from what we are going through and not what we don't have. So today is Thanksgiving Sunday. And we all know in our head that we have a lot to be thankful for. But we also all know there are times and there are seasons in life, and I'm going to put this bluntly, that life just seems to suck. Can anyone relate? Yes. So I don't know if you saw on Facebook, but I posted a little video um, that I wanted to share a story with you this morning from a season that I want that I went through. And it was an almost 18-month period of my life that just seemed to suck. So this story I haven't actually told many people before. In fact, when I decided this week that I was going to share this season of my life, I said to myself, oh, I really need to tell my kids first. So as I had a chance, I sat down with Caitlin and I shared with her. And then I haven't really seen Caleb all week. He is in here somewhere. Is Caleb here? There he is at the back. Yeah, so Caleb is about to hear the story for the first time as well with everyone else. So that's how... Um, how I actively chose to journey this season of my life. It was just journey with a few people. Uh, and so this morning is the first time I have shared it publicly with anyone. Uh, I felt God impress on me that it's time to start sharing it wider. 
uh, with people. Uh, and in doing that, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that sharing my story this morning will help us to understand that thanksgiving, that praise, that worship is a choice that we make, regardless of the circumstances we're in. So, here goes. My story starts on a beautiful summer's day on this tiny little train that makes its way up the hills in the Coromandel Peninsula. This train is called Driving Creek Railway. Has anyone ever heard of Driving Creek Railway? Anyone ever been on that train? Few of us. Okay. I know David would have because it must be dear to his heart. So this train is the legacy of a man named Barry Brickle. And I believe he originally built the train and the tracks to get clay from maybe the hills down to where his workshop is so he could make these beautiful pieces of art out of clay. So... This tiny train is now a cool little tourist attraction. And last year, so 2021, we took a family train. We took a family train. Anyone have a family train? (laughs) We took a family trip on this little train. So picture it with me. You're on this little train. You're meandering your way up this hill. As you look out to one side, there is the beautiful, spectacular Firth of Thames. Uh, All around you are these amazing bits of clay art that Barry and Barry's students and people have made all along the side of these tracks. And you're surrounded by this gorgeous native forest. It doesn't get much more idyllic and peaceful than this setting, does it? So the irony for me in this beautiful and peaceful setting, I experienced what would be the first of many panic attacks. As the train made its way up the track, this overwhelming, tormenting feeling came over me. I couldn't breathe properly. And in fact, it got so bad, I turned around to James, who was behind me, and I said something like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Can you please pray for me? And so she did. She prayed for me. And the moment that she said, amen, the train driver pulls into this little siding and says, hey guys, we're going to have to wait here for 10 minutes because our other train, which is further of the track, has to come down before we can proceed. Now that may have been an inconvenience to some, but it was an answer to prayer for me because I could get off the train, go for a walk and gather my thoughts. Uh, After that, I jumped back on the train as if nothing had happened and got on with my life, just assuming, must have got too hot, Must have been coming down with something. Don't know what was happening, but I just went on with my life as if nothing happened. A few weeks later, I was right here. And a few of you will probably remember this. I was sitting in my seat here, uh, ready to share a few thoughts on Easter or the cross or whatever I had prepared that morning. And again, this overwhelming, tormenting feeling came over me. And so... Instead of walking up onto the stage, I made my way to the back of the auditorium, kind of underneath that um, first, not first aid, what are those things called? You put fires out with a fire extinguisher sign that doesn't have a fire extinguisher under it. That's weird. Should look into that. (laughs) You think there should be one there, eh? Anyway, so I made my way to the back of the auditorium where the fire extinguisher sign is, and I basically lay in the fetal position with this overwhelming feeling coming over me. 
You know, at this point in time, you are really, really grateful for the amazing people you get to do church with. Because they must have been thinking, that's weird. Why is our pastor laying in the fetal position at the back of the auditorium? That's not right. And they were right to think that because I had no idea why I was laying in the fetal position at the back of the auditorium, but they didn't judge me. They just came over and they prayed and they loved me. It was great. I remember at one point I looked up at Steve Jaffairs. He was like quite new at that point. And so, and I just saw him looking at me going, that's not right. <laughs> but, but there I was. Uh, and so at the last possible moment, I stood up despite the tormenting feeling, made my way onto the stage and shared what I had to share. And the strange thing for me is the, the moment, the moment I got on stage and started speaking, all of the panic left, all of the torment left. It was like it had never happened. It was like this incredible kind of release. It was, it was very, very weird. But again, I kind of shook it off and I thought, oh, I don't know what happened. Maybe I got hot or maybe I am coming down with something and I got on with my life again, this time slightly concerned that this thing had happened again, but got on with my life. A week or two later, uh, I was sharing a message at what was our ATC gathering. So we used to run a midweek church service on a Wednesday at lunchtime for the students at ATC. And so I was sharing a message and again, Two minutes before I was supposed to get up on the stage and share my message, that same overwhelming, tormenting feeling came over me. And as, this time, as I was supposed to be walking on stage, I stood up, I walked out the back auditorium doors, sat on the concrete seat outside, lay on the ground and hyperventilated. It was the worst panic attack I'd had so far. Pastor Michael came out and made sure I was okay. Uh, Gems had to rescue the situation for me, which is great because she rescues a lot of situations for me. Wives are great, I tell you. Um, yeah, and so I lay out there on the concrete and then after a few moments, I gathered my thoughts and sort of like, okay, I think I can get up. So I went in, shared what I was sharing that day and, uh, and I was okay. So when I was speaking, I was, I was okay. So that was kind of like the pattern for me. Uh, this was the worst panic attack I'd experienced. Afterwards, after the first two, I was like, oh, that was weird. After this one, I was tired and sore and just felt ill. It was, it was a horrible experience. However, after this latest episode at ATC, that midweek gathering, I finally clicked onto what was happening. I was having panic attacks. Now, for those who don't know what a panic attack is, it is a perfectly natural response to a dangerous situation at a completely inappropriate time when there's nothing at all to be afraid of. So I'm not a doctor or an expert, but from what I understand, your amygdala is the part of your brain that controls the flight, fight, flight, fight, freeze response. And when it thinks you're in danger, it triggers that. It doesn't really have any context that there's no danger. It just thinks, if I have to do it, I'll do it. And so it triggers this flight, fight, freeze response, um, which is basically it pumps a whole bunch of adrenaline into your body and all these chemicals, and you just go a little bit nuts. Um, and so that's what was happening to me. Uh, out of interest, uh, I was a flight. So I, I didn't want to beat anyone up. I wasn't the fight person. I didn't freeze. 
I was the flight, which is why I had to get off the train. I had to, I had to, I had to, I had to get off the train. It's why I had to leave the auditorium. It's why I had to make my way to the, I was a, I was a flight. So I just wanted to run away. So for the, te- for the next 12 months, having a panic attack in those few moments before I was supposed to be on stage or desperately fighting panic attacks when I knew I was, had to be, when I was about to get on stage was my new normal. That was my new pattern. Uh, only to be, and, and what, sorry, to add to that pattern, once I got on stage, all those feelings left. I was completely fine. So that was my pattern for the next 12 months. If I was going to be on stage, I would have a panic attack or I'd be fighting a panic attack. And then once I was on stage, all those feelings left me. Now, it didn't matter if I was preaching like I am this morning. It didn't matter if I was leading a gathering like Gems is this morning. Or it didn't matter if I was introducing someone, which means I only had to be on stage for five seconds. I remember at ATC one day, I had to introduce Kayla, like I had to get up after the worship, introduce Kayla who was speaking that morning and sit back down. That was my, that was my total for the morning. And I had one of the worst panic moments I'd had. And I was supposed to be on stage for three seconds. It didn't matter. If I knew I was going to be on stage, there would be panic. So I got, I got triggered and experienced a panic attack almost every time I was about to be on stage. But once I was on stage, I was okay. But that two to ten minutes beforehand, I had to talk myself down every time. So with that, realize, with that realization that every time I was going to be on stage came another side effect that was almost as bad as the panic attacks, if not worse. And that was the constant anxiety and fear that I lived with that I was going to have a panic attack, especially in the days leading up to any time I knew I'd have to speak on stage. So three weeks after that panic attack, I'd had at our midweek church service or church gathering at ATC, I was taking a wedding. A wedding is someone's special day. It doesn't get much more significant than a couple getting married and and it's an awesome experience and they have all these cool memories and it's a beautiful thing and nobody wants to remember that day because their minister is laying in the fetal position at the altar hyperventilating. So for the three weeks between when I had that panic attack at the ATC gathering and this wedding that I was taking, I lived with constant fear and anxiety. It was one of the worst three weeks of my life. You know how bad it was? I quit coffee. Because that's what the internet told me to do. So I quit coffee. I started eating properly. I know, right? (laughs) It was so bad that the week before the wedding, I went upstairs. I was here by myself and I thought, okay, I need to picture, I need to be at the wedding before I'm at the wedding. So I went upstairs and I pretended I was going to take a wedding and people were there and then the bride was going to come in and I had a panic attack imagining it. It was just like, this is not going to be good. Praise God, God is good. The wedding was awesome. It went really, really well. Uh, I had a few kind of tools under my belt by the time I got to the wedding, which helped me cope with some of the feelings. Um, So the wedding was cool. So I did a few weddings over the 12 to 18 month period. And praise God, they all went really, really well. And none of the couples would have known that I was, known the battle that I was privately having. Uh, One wedding that I remember in particular was Andrew and Maddie. Uh, they're amazing. Oh, there's Maddie right there. 
She's not looking at me. My, tele- my telepathy doesn't work. Okay, that's okay. It's another day. All right, so it was Andrew and Maddie's wedding, and they got married right here. Uh, it was an amazing ceremony. It was really, really cool. We had lots of laughs. There was lots of life. It was just one of those weddings that you remember forever that went really, really well. However, 15 minutes before the wedding, um, Pastor Sheridan was with me in the kids' room praying for me because I could just feel myself having a meltdown. I could just, it was just all-consuming. And then 10 minutes before the ceremony started, I was in this room here. There's like a little bathroom at the back because it's quite private. I was in that room dry-wrenching over and over and over again, wondering how in 10 minutes' time I was supposed to take someone's wedding without absolutely ruining their day. Praise God, he is good. Amen? So one of the, um, one of the tools I had, which Jim's taught me actually, was um, when you're in the, minutes, in the moments of a panic where you feel it looming, you go, what's five things I can see? Four things I can smell, is it? Three things I can touch. Two things I can hear. One thing I can... What's the last one? Taste. I wasn't eating anything. But anyway... I remember, uh, I remember, I was, I was standing about here. Andrew was, Andrew was awesome, actually. Andrew was one guy I did tell, and he's just been incredible. Uh, he was standing here, and he had his groomsman there, and and as Maddie's walking up the aisle, I can see a chair, I can see white shoes, I can see glasses. <laughs> Anyone could be in my head; they just would have been like, "What is wrong with him?" But it was cool. So sometimes over that 12-month period, I had really bad moments, and sometimes it was okay. But in those bad moments, anxiety seemed to be anxiety and panic attacks seemed to be my constant companion. I, I likened it to this. It was like they were looking at me ready for a time they could attack me. And when they did, I almost felt powerless to do anything about it. Whenever so for the whole 12 months. Whenever I was supposed to be on stage in any capacity, I made the choice that I had to have someone in the room who could rescue the situation for me. So 99% of the time, that was our amazing Pastor Gems. She's been incredible over the season. But if Pastor Gems was upstairs doing kids or something else, then I, I made a choice to sort of go, okay, by the way, I don't know, Kyle... If I have a panic attack, you have to rescue the situation. Here's the microphone. Here's what's going on that morning. So there was always someone who could rescue it for me. So this 18-month journey often felt like it would have no end or no victory. I developed some strategies to help me manage the panic attacks and the anxiety, but they were just strategies to help me cope. They didn't feel like they would lead to any kind of freedom. The feelings of panic and anxiety were so bad that often I wanted to quit what I was doing. I didn't want to be a pastor anymore. I just wanted to go and work in a factory where I would stand in a line and inspect bean cans or something that had no weight to it all because I wouldn't have to experience the panic attacks and anxiety anymore. Um, I'm pretty sure that's not what God wanted for me, but that's just in my humanity what I wanted to do. So point one today And my only point today is titled Thanksgiving in all circumstances. What do you do when you find yourself in a situation like mine? Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in 
apparently my Apple Pencil's got a flat battery. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is uh, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. My story is I was having tormenting, tormenting mental health battle, and it was a battle that at times I, f- I struggled to find God, and I struggled to feel God. But as Christians, we are called to rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. For me, it was a mental health battle. For you, it might be one of a million things. Maybe you're in the middle of a terrifying health battle. Maybe you're in the middle of a soul-destroying financial situation. Maybe it's a soul-crushing relationship issue. God is in the middle of your circumstance, and he calls us to rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. We are called to be a people who are thankful in all circumstances. So the irony for me is because when I was speaking on stage, the moments before I was on stage were worship moments. They were times of praise. They were times of worship. They were times of thanksgiving. In those moments, I wanted to panic. But I had to make a decision to participate in praise and worship the best I could in those moments. Because thanksgiving is a decision I had to make based on the truth of what I know about God and not based on the circumstances I was going through, despite how powerful it seemed in those moments. It's not easy, but I discovered, as I'm sure a lot of us have, that that is a decision we have to make, to praise, to worship, to be thankful in our stuff. Why? Because we are people of faith. Faith in God and what we know to be true about Him and the abundant life He promises us. Faith doesn't dwell on the circumstances of life, but looks to God for a better future. Faith is an action. That's really important. Faith is an action. It's not a feeling. So often in those times, those difficult moments, we will need to pray. uh, We will need to action our faith. Faith looks like praying. It looks like coming to church and being with your church family who can help you in your faith. It looks like raising your hands and worshipping or connecting with God, however you best do that, even when you struggle to feel God or to find God. It looks like reading your Bible. Faith looks like thanksgiving in all circumstances. Thanksgiving is important because it changes us and our circumstances, because it changes our perspective so we can focus on who God is And we can know that God is in our circumstances with us. Thanksgiving leads to victory. So I'm not going to speak for ages this morning. And we're actually going to finish soon and enjoy some body voice rolls together. Who's excited about that? I am. I love the body voice rolls. They're very, very, very good. But I do want to share a couple of things with you. Firstly, I want to share with you where I currently am at. So, uh, I have not had a panic attack for a few months. Praise God. It really is good. Which means I, yeah, that's definitely worth a clap. As hard as I knew it was when I was in this season, 
I hold on to that verse that says that God will use all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so I knew God was in the situation with me and the circumstances with me, and I knew God would use it for good. Uh, I can't stand here and honestly say that I feel completely free, but I don't live with anxiety and fear anymore that I'm going to have a panic attack. And as I said, I haven't had one in a long time. Well, a few months. Uh, The second thing I want to share is how I journeyed that season. Can I firstly say that um, I was probably a typical ignorant Kiwi bloke who didn't really understand mental health. I have decided, no, I have decided, I have discovered is the word, how powerful your mind is. There is no shame in getting help. There is no shame in the journey and the circumstances we go through. So if you're going through something, do not do it alone. You need people in your life and you need God in your life. So the way I journeyed it with, uh, with it was I, I got a bunch of help from some incredible people. Activate has some incredible people and some incredible leaders who were praying for me and were always there for me to chat. I started seeing a counsellor, which was great. He's this um, ex-Baptist pastor guy, Uh, great guy. He, um, I'm incredibly grateful for him because he helped me to understand the season that I was in because I didn't understand it. I was just a bit of a mess, but he helped me understand the season I was in. Uh, my amazing wife, James, was my rock over that season. Yeah, we can give her another clap. She was always at my side uh, whenever I had to get, whenever I had to be on stage. Uh, and I'd often remember, you know, I'd be standing there. I have to be on stage in a couple of minutes, and she's standing beside me. And this tormenting feeling would come over me. I'd be like, "Honey." I don't feel good. I don't think I can do this. And she'd be like, you can do this, babe. You've got this. And I'd be like, okay. I just, I just sometimes needed to voice the way I was feeling, to verbalize it, and she would always encourage me and love me, and she'd be like, you've got this. Uh, and the moments that I really wanted to quit, she would never let me, which was great. Um, it was cool. Um, last but definitely not least, I had God, my ever-present help in times of trouble. Today is excuse me. Oh, excuse me. Today is Thanksgiving Sunday, and Thanksgiving to God was an incredible tool during that season and a key to why I believe I'm still here today as a pastor. My prayers would be something like, "Thank you, Lord, for my family. Thank you, Lord, for gems." Thank you, Lord, for the roof over my head, food to eat, a warm bed to sleep in. Thank you, Lord, that you love me. Thank you, Lord, that you're for me. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for the hope I have in you. Thank you, Lord, for the purpose I have in you. My prayers were not theological masterpieces. They were just these incredibly simple truths I knew about God that helped me shift my perspective and to focus on what I knew to be truth and life-giving. So, as I said, I'm not going to speak for ages, but before I finish, I want to give an opportunity for people to respond to the gospel this morning. But before I do that, I want to leave you with this beautiful psalm. It speaks about praise, which is very similar to thanksgiving. It's Psalm 103, verse 1 to 5. Let all that I am praise the Lord, 
With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like that, uh, like the eagles. Verse 2, again, I just want to read. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does. So during my 18-month journey with panic attacks and anxiety and fear, that song that we sung earlier actually, Touch of Heaven, beautiful song, eh? That became one of my go-to songs, one of my favourite songs, especially the lyrics, Lord, I will open up again, throw my fears into the wind. I am desperate for a touch of heaven. And as I sung that, I would often just, Picture it in my head. Lord, I will open up again. Throw my fears, this thing, this tormenting thing into the wind. I am desperate, desperate from a touch from heaven. I knew I had to stay open to God. I knew he was my redeemer. I knew he was my rescuer. I knew he was my victory. And I knew I needed a touch of heaven from him. Amen.